I opened up the Sydney Morning Herald, there was an advert for a Hindu guru who was giving a talk locally to me. And I was like, I'm going to go to that talk. And some of my Sydney friends had lived in the UK and I knew them, yes? Yeah? So I had people, I'm lucky I had friends. They're like, oh, you're going to go and see a Hindu? Like, and I was like, yeah, I really feel like I've got to go and see this Hindu guru. So I basically started to evolve on a bit of a spiritual path within two days of being in Sydney, which had wow. not happened in, in my whole life. And I do think, for me, being physically on that land of Australia, you know, all its Aboriginal connections and, you know, I think it just shifted something in me. Hello, and welcome to the Natural Healthcare Network podcast. My name is Deb McLeod, and I really appreciate your sitting in and listening in. Today, I am delighted to say that I have Anita Chakraborty joining me. She is a scientist, she used to work in the banking industry, and now she's a naturopath. She is an astrologer and a member of the Association of Professional Astrologers International. And she also trained for seven years with a Cherokee chief called Medicine Crow. She did this to learn ancient Native American shamanic healing practices. Anita's story is an interesting story. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did, but I must let you know there is a section about 39 minutes into the recording that could be slightly distressing for some animal lovers. So, Anita, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast today. It is such a pleasure to have you here with me. Oh, bless you for inviting me. I'm very excited about uh, having a random conversation about everything. (laughs) (laughs) A random comment. And that's true. And it is going to sound like a a bit like a random conversation because you've done a lot of things. And I love that you are... We're going to hear about your story, and this is, we're going to talk a little bit about what you've done previously, which I love, because you're very much in that scientific business world, and now you're more in the spiritual, holistic, healthcare, complementary medicine world, which I think is exciting, and I love to hear that dynamic of what happened then to put you into this place now and how you take all that wonderful stuff that happened then and integrate it into the now. So um, if you're happy with that, and we'll see how the conversation goes, we've got about an hour and see what we talk about. And if we find that we need to talk about something else, we might do a to be continued or roll on. But if you're happy to do that. um, Yeah, sounds brilliant. Okay, well, then let's just I'll let you take it away and we'll go from there. So um, in terms of my journey, um, I grew up in South London. I'm a a biracial girl, half Indian, half Italian. So I grew up in an environment where food was a big part of my life. So when you're getting your breakfast, parents are talking about what's for lunch. And while you're having your lunch, (laughs) dinner is then being discussed. (laughs) And... um, I'm still in touch with school friends and now and again they'll mention how their their background is mainly Irish ethnicity mm-hmm. and they'd come around my house like for lunch or an early dinner, you know, like kids, and they'd be like, what's this? What's that? What's that green stuff? You know, like <laughs> we had salad with every dinner because my mum's Italian and Italians mm-hmm. love salad and then my dad's Indian, so obviously lots of different curries, lots of mm-hmm. different dolls. 
you know, chapatis. And so I kind of grew up in that environment. And my parents are psychiatric nurses. And I lived uh, basically the end of the road was a library. So I grew up with I was reading just for pleasure anatomy books from right. when I, as soon as I could read and medical <laughs> books and, you know, diagnostic books because even though they were psychiatric nurses they had to do general nursing for first and then uh-huh. so I can't and then you know their friends are doctors their friends are nurses so I kind of grew up in that environment of you know nurses and doctors and healthcare and wellness mm-hmm. and it was kind of expected that I'd become a doctor right but um as I was growing up I was a bit more interested in you know the science stuff you know and chemistry I really loved chemistry and, um, you know, I knew the periodic table back to front and I had, you know, Marie Curie was one of my heroines. And I kind of had this idea of an element being named after me, you know, Chakrabertium. <laughs> Excellent. I like it. I like it. And I'd have to like widen the periodic table just to fit my name in it. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, so I basically went down a science route and around the time when we kind of had to decide what, you know, what what to do from a degree point of view I just thought yeah chemistry you know I'd like to work in pharmaceuticals and I'd like to actually develop drugs being a doctor is great mm-hmm. you know and I do like that idea but I'd rather do the science bit where I'm, I'm I, then I know that the things I've been working on is all across the world helping people so I had a, a very idealistic view of you know moving into the pharmaceutical industry and yeah I worked for AstraZeneca for a year whilst I was doing my chemistry degree because um, I did a four-year degree where you're allowed to work in industry and I got paid, you know, a good salary for, you know, someone who's in their early 20s. Mm-hmm. And that's when I got a bit disillusioned with the pharmaceutical industry, uh, totally from an ego perspective because, you know, I was scientific o levels a levels doing a degree in chemistry and you just get stuck in a big room and you're basically doing the same experiment over and over again i was working yeah. on an antihypertensive developing an antihypertensive and obviously one of those things with drugs is solubility you know and solubility over time so i was just basically take taking samples of i had like six pots and i was just taking samples every 15 minutes and then doing calculations what was the active ingredient how it was dissolved over that you know, hour and a half, and then oh, we'd wow. modify the experiment a little bit. And after like a couple of weeks, I just went up to my boss and I was like, um, can I do something else? And they're like, what do you mean? It's like, well, I've just been doing the same thing every day for like two weeks. I've got a brain the size of a planet. I want to do something else. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, I'm in a factory. I'm literally in yeah. a factory. I'm not making anything I'm having to do all these tests to make sure that you know another thing is stability testing so you put these tablets in different environments hot cold wet dry and see how that eroded the active ingredient and then you're doing Mm -hmm. another experiment to see how so you know it initially it was interesting and then I kind of got a bit bored and I was so cranky and moany that they, they did move me around a little bit more But, yeah, I went back to finish my degree and I just thought, I don't think I want to do chemistry again. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) However, I did an MSc. I thought I'd do an MSc and just give it one more year. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, talking to my friends that I I made in in the pharmaceutical industry, they just said, look, don't come back here unless you've got a PhD because you are literally just going to be doing 
those kind of experiments all day, every day, and you're not going to really progress. You know, they want people to have doctors and postdoctorates. So that was my conundrum. So, yeah, once I got my MSc, I thought, you know what, I'm like sick of chemistry and science. I'm bored of it. I want to learn something else. I don't know anything about when I watch the news at the end of the news when they're talking about the NASDAQ, the Dow Jones, the FTSE, when they talk about house price inflation, when they talk about Bank of England LIBOR rate. It's like that's an area of, of, of learning that I know zero about. So I'm going to try and get a job in banking. Right. Yeah. And all my chemistry friends went, how are you going to get a job in banking? You're a chemist. And I was like, well, you know, we do analytics and we do lots of number crunching and stats and, you know, it should be fine. <laughs> and, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll be, I believe I'll get a job in chemistry. And I just applied for, yeah, jobs with different banks and, um, yeah, got a job in a bank and, uh, yeah, managed to, uh, yeah, start to kind of progress in the banking industry. So I worked in kind of mortgages, credit cards, personal loans, but not kind of front with customers trying to, you know, assess them and not in a branch. I was in head office, mm-hmm. and basically working on the algorithms that make a decision as to are you going to get this mortgage, Deborah, or are you not going to get the mortgage based mm-hmm. on your credit score, based on your... Yep address based on your income la 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 so I was in a department and then ended up running a team that was doing those computer algorithms because it was all automated decisioning yeah so absolutely I can see but it does make me giggle that you were doing all of that stuff with the with the pills and checking that and then you're going in and looking at all the analysis of can you get that loan can't you are you going to do that so it's kind of almost the same sort of thing is that is that history repeating itself kind of well you see um in some ways yes but in other ways no because um our our department it's doing the analysis but it's also because it's to do with systems you're having to kind of produce the algorithms and then put them into an IT system. Right. So there was then that kind of working on projects across different departments Mm -hmm. because what we do feeds into other bank departments as well. So you're then then working on big projects with different departments and learning about what different departments do, about different IT systems, how they talk to each other, Mm -hmm. the interfaces between. So, it, it you know, it kind of grew to this big kind of, yeah, big, massive Ben-Hur kind of project. So, right. which I, you know, really enjoyed, yeah, working on. So it gave you that mental stimulation that you needed so you could use the scientific bit and then to, to do the analysis and then understand the bigger picture, as it were. So then what happened? So you worked for AstraZeneca, then you worked in the financial world, and then what was it that occurred that made you transition so um, I got headhunted by a big Australian bank to move to Sydney. Mm-hmm. And um, look, prior to this, I, you know, I've been brought up, I realise this is not about religion, really, but I was brought up a Catholic, but I was a sort of the little girl that had, a, you know, a Hindu father. And again, question, question, question. So, you know, um, we're getting taught, taught about, you know, being a Catholic, you know, Catholics go to heaven and other other religions are unlikely to go to heaven because, you know, you have to be a Christian. So me with an Indian father and this whole army of people in India that I'm related to that weren't going to go to heaven, you know, I was kind of like 
quizzing the Catholic priest, you know, like, so my dad won't go to heaven. Oh, well, he will if he converts to Catholicism. I was like, okay, but what about all my uncles and aunties and cousins in India that don't go to church? You know, they're going to go to hell. Well, not if they convert to Catholicism and follow Jesus. And I was like, what about a pygmy in Africa that has never seen a priest? And they're a good (laughs) pygmy. They're a good pygmy being a really nice person. Uh, If they die and they're not Catholic, they're going to go to hell. Yes. And I was like, this doesn't really sound right. Yeah, yeah. It's a a very odd concept yes totally yeah, agree why <laughs> and then also I was kind of brought up a Hindu in a way not like formally but I kind of knew all about the gods and the goddesses but again Hinduism has got quite a lot of different rituals on certain days you're meant to eat this food and you fast on this day and then there's like the caste system so these people should only have these jobs and these people should only have these jobs and and it's all very hierarchical which didn't kind of sit right with me um I am getting to the kind of no no I love it I love it I love this um but then so I ended up kind of basically evolving into an atheist you know right now life then we die and we become worm food and that's the end of it and that was you know that was my spiritual outlook on life, yeah. Um, which kind of fitted quite well in the banking world because you're kind of going out a lot and socialising a lot and burning the candle at both ends and, you know. Um, then I moved to Sydney and within two days of being in Sydney, I opened up the Sydney Morning Herald. There was an advert for a Hindu guru who was giving a talk locally to me. And I was like, I'm going to go to that talk. And... Some of my Sydney friends had lived in the UK and I knew them, yeah? So I had people, I, lucky I had friends. They're like, huh, you're going to go and see a Hindu? Like, and I was like, yeah, I really feel like I've got to go and see this Hindu guru. So I basically started to evolve on a bit of a spiritual path within mm-hmm. two days of being in Sydney, which had wow. not happened in, in my whole life. And I do think, for me... Being physically on that land of Australia, you know, all its Aboriginal connections and, you know, I think it just shifted something in me. That's the only way I can explain it. So I started, you know, following this guru. And then you're in Sydney in 2003. Everyone's jogging. Everyone goes to see massage therapists. Everyone goes to see osteopaths. Everyone sees naturopaths and nutritionists. People are drinking green juice in 2003. You know, they've only started drinking it in the past two years here in the UK. Yeah. It's a very health-conscious environment. So I'm in a very health-conscious environment with a sea and, you know. And, um, yeah, I was kind of starting to meet different people with different spiritual views. But the big change came with my friend Donna, who was a life coach. Basically, two years into me living in Sydney, she gave me the course outline for a degree in naturopathy. And she said you should do this. Like you're already moaning at people about what they eat (laughs) and telling them don't have margarine. It's plastic and Mm -hmm. it's gray. And then they put the yellow food coloring in to make it look appetizing and ants won't eat it. Put your, you know, like you you do all that already, but you can actually be formally trained in it and you could, that could be your job, you know, and you already know about herbs and things because you Mm. read up on it. So, and I've read this course outline And I just went, oh, my God, this is like my perfect degree. Wow. You know, anatomy and physiology, chemistry and biochemistry. Obviously, I probably wouldn't have to do that. So I could just, you know, go to the pub during those lectures. (laughs) And then, um, you know, herbal medicine, phytomedicine, botany, 
nutrition, uh, wet labs where we saw dead bodies because we were there was a connection with a medical school there, um, symptomatology and diagnosis. Um, yeah, it was just boom, 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 tick, 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 everything that really, really interests me. And the next day I went to my boss at the bank and I said, this degree in naturopathy starts in three months' time. So just to let you know, in three months, I'm going to be leaving and I'm going to do this naturopathy degree. And he said, can you bring in the course information? I want to read it and make sure that you're doing the right thing, that you're not being foolish. And the next day I brought in, yeah, the course outline. He read it and he was like, oh, this is perfect for you. Yeah, you should do it. What a great boss. Yeah. But then he actually read the detail, which being an Aries, I didn't kind of, in my enthusiasm and impulsiveness, mm -hmm. I didn't realise I was only at college three days a week. Right. So he said, what are you going to do the other two days? And I said, oh, oh, I don't know. I thought I was going to be in college five days a week. And he said, well, if you're, you know, if you're only in college three days a week, you can still work at the bank two days a week. But obviously you can't manage big teams and big projects, mm -hmm. but you could be someone that works you know, as a senior business analyst on the projects. So I was so blessed that while I was doing my naturopathy degree, I was still able to work in the bank and also do that as, as my business was evolving in Sydney. That's so cool. That's so cool. Yeah. And, you know, flexible working was something that was, you know, being done in Sydney years ago. You know, they were quite happy for people to kind of do part-time work and not just if you were a woman who was pregnant going off to have a baby. Yeah, yeah. They were open to your making changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then what happened with that? So you you graduated and what did you, how did things progress for you? What happened then? Well, you'll probably know what this kind of approach to learning once you kind of move into alternative therapies, Deb, in that mm. I started, you know, studying naturopathy and then the college did some astrology courses, not kind of formal, but more like weekend. Mm -hmm. So I kind of dabbled in astrology and then I started to look for a more formal course. So I did a one year uh, modern astrology course mm -hmm. in Sydney. And uh, I thought, yeah, this is all right, but um, I don't know. It's not really floating my boat. And then I went to an astrology conference in Brisbane, which was like, you know, four days, just completely astrology, international, all these different speakers. And I saw these two ladies that were Australian talking about medieval astrology. And I, even though I'd done a year of astrology and some other kind of weekend workshops, I sat on these two different lectures by these two different women. And I was like, I don't understand what you're talking about. Like the complexity of what you're saying really intrigues me, especially as I have actually done a year and a bit of astrological study. So why do I not understand what you're saying? Um, so I, yeah, I contacted them and they, back then, this was like, you know, 2008, maybe 2007, mm -hmm. 2006, I can't exactly remember. They were doing stuff online then, online mm -hmm. learning. So yeah, three hours a week, for four years, apart from when it was, you know, Christmas holidays, summer holidays, Easter holidays. Mm -hmm. Yeah, three hours a week, I attended medieval astrology lectures for four years. So I did a diploma in medieval astrology. What is, now it's going to sound really silly, what is medieval astrology? How is that different from 
other astrology? Because I, I don't know. I mean, I know astrology, um, but what's the difference? Can you say that? And that's really mean of me. Can you say that in a nutshell, sort of? Yeah. <laughs> no, you can yeah, tell so, me no. <laughs> so most people know modern astrology and modern astrology evolved from medieval astrology kind of via people like Alan Leo and Carl Jung to make the complexity of astrology more accessible to the public and everyday people. Mm-hmm. So, and this is going to sound like I'm criticising modern astrologers, I'm not, but they will, they will admit this. So complexity was taken out of modern astrology to make, to make it more simpler and to make the language more accessible to the world, you know, and that actually was a good thing. So it led to a big growth in astrologies in the 40s, 50s, 60s to have the little astrological bits in the paper. You know, mm-hmm. that all came through people like Alan Leo and Carl Jung and those kind of pioneers to make it more simple because prior to that, it was all complicated and very analytical. And if you asked a medieval astrologer, can you just write what's going to happen this week in like four lines? They'll go, no, I can't because, you know, there's eight, all these planets and I've got to do, you know, and and then basically it'll be a big massive analysis. I can't summarise it. So that's, that's kind of the, look, I'll give you an example. So my Venus is in Taurus, okay? So a modern astrologer would just would describe Venus being in Taurus. And it, a modern astrologer might go, and you've got Venus in this house. But I would say as a medieval astrologer, your Venus is in Taurus, therefore your Venus is exalted. Yeah, so you've got a very strong Venus. And your Venus is in the eighth house, which is the house of drama and change. But your eighth house is also you know, that Venus rules your first house. So you initiate drama and change to bring, you know, your desires into your life because Venus is about desire. So that's kind of what a medieval astrologer would say. Whereas the modern astrologer would just go, you've got Venus in Taurus and it's in the eighth house. So, you know, Venus is about relationships. The eighth house is about drama and crisis. So, you know, you may create drama and crisis in relationships but they're not going to kind of look at the house rulers they're not going to look at whether it's a strong venus or a weak venus so there's some elements that are not available in modern astrology plus they don't tend to do predictive work because predictive work needs a lot of analytics if you want to look at the next six months ahead next 12 months ahead that's a lot of analytics to predict what's going to happen and medieval astrology, they've got all those calculations. And modern astrologers, it's more about describing you from a psychological perspective, whereas a medieval astrologer would say, right, Anita, this is what goes on with your money in your life. This is what goes on with your relationship. This is what's going on with your health. But the modern astrologer will see all the different planets as aspects of your psyche, whereas we see in a more practical thing that this planet's about your money, this planet's about your mindset, this planet's about love, this planet's about health. And then how do you apply that? So I, I and I, I was going to say, how did you as a scientist get into that? But I can see the analytical bit of why you would really like the medieval astrology, because it's very much about the analytical side, which as which I also find curious because being a naturopath, you're looking at the whole person, but you're going in and you go out and you go in and out and in and out. So I, I'm getting it more now because that was a, a one of the questions I had is I just thought this is a fantastic 
amalgamation of of qualifications that you have. But how do you uh, how does one apply that to help someone affect the change? Or or is that another is that an unfair question for me to ask? No, that's a, that's a very good question. So I'm I'm the sort of practitioner where you know if someone comes to me for naturopathy because you know one of the things I ask is date of birth mm-hmm. um, I don't always go and I don't always go and analyze and look at their charts in some ways when I see a naturopathic client I want to kind of if they're only coming to me for naturopathy I want to kind of honor that decision mm-hmm. and not kind of then do a little bit of oh I'm gonna have a little bit of a cheeky side check of your <laughs> chart and, yeah <laughs> Um, and from a data protection point of view, I shouldn't really be using, if I'm taking their date of birth, just to kind of find out their age because of hormonal issues, you know, are you in your 30s, 40s, 50s, you know. Um, however, I do end up, you know, because I then I know their star sign, I can just kind of go, oh, you know, is this going on with you at the moment? Because, you know, this is happening with Neptune and, you know, you've got mm-hmm. Neptune in you know, you're, you're a Piscean. So Neptune's going to be really like on your, on your sun at the moment because Neptune's in Pisces. So have you had vivid dreams? And they're like, Oh yeah, like I'm kind of going to a different world when I dream. And that's only started happening in the past like year. So um, based on their sun sign, I might just, because I know kind of what's happening planetarily at the moment, I might just mention something astrologically um, but only if they formally say, I would love to have an astrology reading, only then do I properly look at their chart, you know, they get a copy of it, and then, bang, I kind of remember that. And then from then on, when we're in our astrology, I'm like, okay, um, you know, how's your how's your diet been the past week or two, you know? And they're like, oh, well, you know, I ended up having too much sugar again. And I was like, okay, well, look, you know, your son is in Libra, so Librans do tend to have a sweet tooth. You know, and then you've got Venus in Taurus. That's that's a strong thing about desire. So your desire, you know, Venus likes to lie on the sofa drinking wine, eating grapes, and enjoying herself. <laughs> Venus doesn't like her. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that is what your planet is saying to you. Enjoy yourself, indulge. Mm. You know, you've got a very strong Venus. You know, I want to be indulged <laughs> in sweets and chocolates and nectar. I don't want to be eating alfalfa sprouts with a drizzle of linseed on, you know, <laughs> linseed oil. So by knowing their chart, then when they actually, um, what's the word, self-sabotage themselves, mm-hmm. I can kind of explain it back to them to mm-hmm. take away that feeling of badness that they lack willpower and they can actually just start to blame the planets. In a way. <laughs> it's never my fault. It's the planet's fault. Yeah. <laughs> it's not it. nothing to do with me. Um, by blaming the planets it gives you that kind of puts that distance there Mm -hmm. and that distance can make you stop feeling guilty because when you feel guilty you feel bad when you feel guilty and you feel bad then you go you know what i might as well have that chocolate i might as well have that that another another gin but when you go oh it's my venus my venus really wants that gin and my venus really wants that chocolate and you know i'm i'm an amalgamation of all these different planets so i can actually use a little bit of conscious you know, decision in before I reach for it. Cause I can say to Venus, nah, you know, my Saturn's in Capricorn. That's pretty strong too. And my Saturn's going to say, no, you know, if you want to lose weight or get healthy, you've got to actually have some structure and, you know, some resistance and limitation. Cause that's what Saturn's about. So <laughs> I find it works really well when naturopathy and astrology emerge together 
Mm-hmm. But it doesn't always happen because I'm not the sort of person that would push a naturopathy client to then have a reading. Mm-hmm. You know, some clients are strong Christians and, you know, you kind of get to know that in a consult. So, you know, I've learned in 10 years of clinical practice, just be careful who you mention astrology to. You mm-hmm. know, um, Muslim people, again, they're, they're not really allowed. It's haram for, you know, Islamic people to see astrologers and have any of that kind of... So, yeah, I kind of... You get to know your audience. So, but mm-hmm. when I do feel that someone would be open to it, I will bring it in to different mm-hmm. things that are going on astrologically and how it may be impacting them based on what I know about their sun sign. And in that mm-hmm. way, um, yeah, they can be educated if they come and see me for an astrology reading. On look, you know, you are sun in Sagittarius. You know, you tend do you tend to get like hip and thigh problems? Oh yeah, my hamstrings are always really tight. Yeah, okay, well, that's why, because you've got sun in Sag. And look, I can see, you know, you've got the moon in in uh, Aquarius, and Aquarius is all about kind of nervous energy. Do you find that you're a bit fidgety? And, you know, we can kind of add another layer of knowledge to the client. Mm-hmm. So it adds that on. I love all this because, I mean, you're, you, you have your ast- astrology that you do. You're also an iridologist, but... You also are an herbalist and a shamanic healer. So is there, are there other things? Is there anything else that I've missed? I mean, and I'm not making fun of you no, at all. I just see, you know, and I know the way I said that, are there other things, you know? My God, what a list. <laughs> but well, You know, I'm still in contact with friends from school that I've known since I was 11. And, mm-hmm. you know, they jokingly, because, you know, they'll ask me what clients have I had this week and, mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, shamanic healing. They're like, jack of all trades, master of none. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, because we're always learning. We're always learning. But, you know, um, because as you you saw from my evolution in my career, I do get bored Mm. really easily. Mm -hmm. And I think if I was just doing naturopathy all the time, I would go mad because Mm. I'd get fed up with it. If I was doing astrology, I'd go mad. If I was doing just shamanic healing, I'd go mad. But because I've got these three areas, and naturopathy I love because it is nutrition, it's iridology, it's herbal medicine. Um, I use flower essences as well. So mm-hmm. we did, you know, bark flower remedies and Australian bush flower remedies and my naturopathy degree. So that's kind of one bit of my job. And then mm-hmm. with astrology, you know, that kind of – I mean, I look at mundane astrology. So I've done talks where I've looked at the U.K., the UK chart to see what's going to happen. And I was on Riverside Radio a few times. And on the 12th of January, 2020, 12th of January, 2020, I was on Riverside Radio. And I said, there will be a viral epidemic in the UK because Neptune that represents infection is right next to the moon that represents the people of the UK. And it's in the house of health. And the host is like, oh, very interesting. Now, Harry and Meghan leaving the royal family. <laughs> Tell us about that. And all the all the tweets and all the emails are all about Harry and Meghan. So on the 12th of January, 2020, when I was on Riverside Radio, no one wanted to hear about a viral epidemic. You know? But you can see that. So a chart of, of a country gives you good information. Fantastic. In February, I was talking about, I said, either Boris or a member of the royal family in March or April will end up in hospital. And I said that in early February. Go figure. So 
I'm trying to think of the best way forward, but I think what would be interesting to talk about, if you don't mind, is that we're still in, have you in Australia, so you're still there, but you're now living in the United Kingdom. Can we talk about moving back here? Because it sounds like you had quite a business in Australia. So what was it that made you or happened that caused you want to come back to the United Kingdom? Are you happy to talk about that now yeah, or do you want to talk about I'm something totally happy to talk about that. Okay. Um, so in June 2015, my intuition just started to tell, say to me, time for you to go back, time for you to go back. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, I'd say, no, like, what am I going back to England for? You know, I've spent years setting up this business and, you know, money setting up this business and I've got it to a point where I'm, you know, doing okay. And seven years here, why would I then up sticks and go to England and have to set everything up from scratch? No, not going back to England. And this inner voice just got stronger and stronger and stronger to the point where I was having sleepless nights and I was starting to get stomach pains. Mm-hmm. And as a shamanic healer, you know, and as an astrologer and as a naturopath, I'm always telling clients and friends, listen to your gut, listen to your intuition. That is going to lead you on the right path. Your brain will kind of try to override it and your brain doesn't really know as much as your intuition, you know, because your intuition is connected to a multidimensional reality and it's getting amazing information. So this is like, and I got to a point, it's like, okay, I will go to England. But, you know, it's July. And if I'm going to go to England, I've got to go kind of now because if I leave it too long I'm going to end up in winter in England and all my friends will be ringing me from Sydney going oh we're down the beach like you know what a shame you're not here in the sunshine and you're in pommy land freezing so um although I'd you know been working on my business for seven years I had been in Sydney for 12 years at that point so, yeah, I just thought in July, okay, I'm going to go back to England. I've got to really, like, get rid of my life here in the next few weeks and make sure, like, by early August I'm back in England just so I can have a summer there and have a few months off. And then in the new year I'll start setting up my, you know, health and wellness business. So, yeah, I started telling my friends that I'm going back to England. They're like, what for? And a lot of them are English. Like, what for? What are you going back there for? And I was like, I don't actually know. Like, I don't know, but I know I have to. So I'm just going to go. And they're like, you're mad. But I did. Um, and yeah, kind of ended up here. And it wasn't until a year and a half later when I found my dad dead in bed, suddenly, that my intuition went, that's why you have to come back to England. Oh. Yeah. Wow. And it was completely sudden because we'd had dinner the night before. So, yeah, we had dinner. And then on the 31st of January 2017, my dad died. And yeah, when I found him in bed, he was actually lying with his eyes half open, looking up. So I didn't even pre- I didn't even think he was dead. I just kind of like I'd knocked on the door to see if he wanted a cup of tea and he didn't respond so I kind of walked in and I was like do you want a cup of tea and I was thinking why is he not answering me and what's Mm -hmm. he thinking about what's he thinking about that so you know grabbed his consciousness that he can't respond to my cup of tea request (laughs) then my mum walked into that bedroom because obviously you know they've been married 50 years they sleep separately else they would no longer have probably been married um and she just walked in as an ex-nurse and she went he's dead he's dead He's dead. And I was like, oh, what? Like, 
how can he be dead? Like, but he was. And then, yeah, um, you have to think, right, what, what do I do? I don't know what to do. You know, I know you ring an ambulance if someone's ill and having mm. a cardiac arrest, <laughs> but if someone's actually dead, who do you ring? Do I still ring for an ambulance? Mm. Um, but, yeah, that's, yes, you'd still ring for an ambulance for them to yeah. pronounce him dead. Yeah, they have to do all that stuff. Wow, what a shocker. I mean, really, is your mom still around? Yeah, my mom's still here. She's still right. Yeah, oh, yeah. well, that's good. Yeah. I've got two younger sisters. So I've got right. one sister that's here, one sister that's in San Diego. Right, okay, yeah. right. So that's good. So you could be there to support your mom. So what then? I mean, what? A, it's kind of a strange thing to say. You know, it's talk about a, a big pause. Your father has died. You've moved over here. And now you know, okay, I came over here so you could be with your father before he died. What happened then? How have things changed for you? Or well, what's happened? As everything was kind of happening, you know, there's a funeral to organise. Yeah, yeah. Funeral, like, oh. Yeah. Post, you know, post-mortem. And then we all assumed that it was a heart attack because it was so sudden. And we got the post-mortem result. And you can't you can't do the burial until you get that, mm. but, you know, that death certificate. So there's all these things that go on that you think, wow, it's like there's a whole process here and my dad's dead. You know, mm, I, I don't know. want to have to do this process and go to the town hall and get a death certificate and get some stranger to go, sorry for your loss. I know, it's very and, strange, uh, isn't it? You yeah. know, like, I shouldn't be, you shouldn't be saying sorry for your loss because, like, we only had dinner a few days ago with my mm. dad and he was in fine health, so I don't understand what is going on. Mm. And as as the weeks unfolded, I then thought, oh, God, yeah, well, you know, I'm a self-employed wellness practitioner I don't get any um compassionate leave that's paid if I don't see clients I don't earn any money and I can't be weeping during you know face-to-face client interviews because people are coming to me for support so you have to kind of you know it's a bit like the actors and actresses that talk about the show must go on you know I've got to be I've got to be there for my clients so I did tell them you know that my dad died and but I wouldn't like mention it in any of the consults really because it's about them they're paying you to get better it's not about me and bless them they would ask obviously and I'd be like yeah yeah it's fine thank goodness for my spiritual beliefs and leave it at that you know but my spiritual beliefs were like okay so I'm quite into law of attraction um and I've kind of thought that it was kind of a bit of a thing but um you know six months after my dad died um, my mum screamed, she was in the gardens, you know, screaming my name. And I was like, oh, my God, is something happening to my mum now? Mm. So I ran to the garden and she said, it's Honey the cat. And I was like, oh, where is she? And my mum pointed and there was my mum's cardigan that Honey used to always like to sit on. Mm. And I was like, and she, I was like, I didn't understand. Like, that's just a cardigan. Like, where's the cat? Mm. And then I thought, okay, I've got to look under this cardigan. And then my mum mm. went... It was the fox, and oh, I was yes. like, "We don't live in the Serengeti. We live in Tooting Broadway. You know, yeah. foxes don't kill cats. They've got KFC <laughs> you know, pizza, discarded chicken nuggets to eat. Why would they mm. kill a cat? You know." Anyway, I slowly kind of lifted the cardigan. Oh God! Oh dear! It's like wow, wow! I didn't expect this. <laughs> Mm. So the cat that my parents had from a kitten who's 19 years old now, this cat, oh. 20 years, 
this mm. is a cat that I kissed goodnight, mm. you know, last night, and we don't put our cats in the garden and shut the door and stay outside all night. We've got a cat flat, you know, so I kissed Honey and Sylvester, you know, <laughs> in that, sorry, in that August. And then the next day, Sylvester's like meowing and meowing next to the body. And I'm like, what's going on? Honey's got no head. Daddy died like six months ago. What is this spiritual path all about if everything that's near me is dying? And then a month later, Sylvester the cat died. Oh, my word. Yeah. Uh, He just collapsed one day. I took him to the vet. They did loads of blood tests and said um, he's probably got blood cancer and he's very anemic. So he'll have to go in a hospital and it'll be one and a half thousand pounds. And I was like, I don't want him to be here with loads of needles and tubes mm-hmm. and things in him, not knowing if he's alive or dead and him on his own. It should be so horrible. Yeah. Like, I think it would be better if we just like put him to sleep, you know? Mm. Um, and then I was like, I keep like, and then it's like, you know, it's like, if you saw this in a film, you'd think this is ridiculous. Um and then, yeah, a year after then, one of my dearest friends committed suicide in Australia and he left behind two 18-month-old toddler girls and his oh, oh, that's sad. And then six months after that, my boyfriend died of a heart attack. Oh, my word. <sighs> and it was just like death after death after death. Hmm. And it got to the point where friend, when I'd ring a friend and the first thing they'd say is, who's died now? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I know, I'm just phoning to see if you're still all right for going to the restaurant on Saturday night. <laughs> all right, okay, all right. We thought, right. Mm. you know, everyone texts all the time. So to actually get a phone call sometimes is. Yeah, yeah. Usually. Why are you ringing me? Why are you ringing me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, yeah. I went through this, but um, yeah, it was a lot to process. So there's a lot of, I mean, how did you learn to cope with all of that? the the sadness the the bereavement of that because you know you had several things going on you have a business you have to run and you're going through a phase of real loss you know and and you just kind of rattle it off because it's been and you're you're just able to say it that it's happened but how did you manage that whilst having a business and whilst also helping your mom because I imagine she was feeling that real gap and that loss of not having your dad around as well. It must have been yeah, she a was, multitude you know, of things. She was suffering, obviously, you know, even my family, sisters were suffering. But honestly, I was so blessed that I had that herbal dispensary and I had nutritional supplements <laughs> and I had bark flowers. And mm. I think it's ridiculous now that I didn't, I didn't use any of them on myself for the first two months. I think because... You know, look, the good thing about death was for me as a practitioner, I was able to kind of look at myself from a distance and go, hmm, it's interesting. You've got palpitations at night. You know, that's adrenaline. Mm. And this is like every night and you've never had palpitations in your life. So this is obviously anxiety Mm. that's manifesting. And, yeah, it's really getting quite intense. You actually feel like you're having a heart attack, you know. Could this be almost like PTSD? So Mm. it's almost like part of your brain becomes the observer and watches how there are, you know, physical changes in your body. Um, Physical brain changes that happen with memory, you know. I remember this classic uh you know a few weeks after my dad died me and my school friends that I've known since I was 11 went to a pub and you know my friend Joe 
took our orders, went to the bar, and I decided to change my order. And I went to shout to her, Joe, and I just went, and I was like, I don't know your name. Like, I've known you since I was 11, and I can't get your name in my brain because the loss and the grief has affected my brain function, you know. Mm. I was, like, writing trivial things down on my to-do list because I would just not not remember things. And I've got, you know, um, <laughs> friends call me an, an autistic savant with regards to my memory because, um, you know, I've got a really good memory about the past and the future and dates. Um, and there was basic things I couldn't remember. It's like, wow, like, that's grief. It's affected my memory, and then my energy, I was able to see some days I was like pumped full of energies and other days I really struggled to get out of bed. I saw changes in my appetite. There were some days I had appetite, other days I didn't have any appetite. Um, I've never been someone that likes sweets and I found, you know, I'm more a savoury person, yeah? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I go out to friends and we have dinner and they're always like, dessert, dessert, and I'm like... Uh, cheese and crackers like that's that's my Mm -hmm. dessert um and I've noticed that my palate had changed while I was processing grief and loss but yeah I ended up after two months going I need to do something because I feel like I'm going out of my mind with grief and that I'm not really functioning my brain is going I'm gonna have a heart attack I've got to do something (laughs) so I just started taking flower essences as a first off star of Bethlehem for grief elm for feeling overwhelmed um yeah I can't really remember the specifics really I kind of thought in that moment this is what I think would be good for me um (laughs) olive for energy you know and hornbeam for energy um and yeah um I think mimulus for anxiety about specific things and red chestnut for fears of others because a big fear for me was other members of my family or even friends dying of course you know, um, so and then I started using my herbal dispensary. It's like, OK, I better work on my immune system because I've, I've had more colds in the past two months than I've had mm. in two years. You know, I was mm. kind of catching every cold that was coming. I better take something for my insomnia, some herbal remedies. I better start taking some B vitamins for my brain. So then I was making, you know, herbal mixes for myself and taking various nutritional supplements as well. And then I was like, oh, God. I'm starting to feel like me again. Excellent. You know, despite despite the bereavement, so that when the other bereavements happened, I made <laughs> sure I kind of got on top of take my adaptogens, take my gut herbs, take my immune herbs, take the flower essences, take these different nutrients, and you'll kind of recover quicker. And I think in terms of bereavement, that's probably something that us as practitioners may forget about because it's all about the talking, the talking, the talking therapy, you mm-hmm. know. And I got to the point where I didn't want to talk about it anymore. It's like, just give me something that is going to make me physically and mentally feel better. And that was the herbs and nutritional supplements and the flower essences. It's interesting that, isn't it? Because um, there are times where you think uh, it's finding that balance of what's the best way to, to help the individual that's going through whatever issue they are at that time. And for you, we as healthcare practitioners, we want to say, right, well, let's, uh, nutritional therapists will say, let's try and do it through food and not do it through supplementation. But sometimes you just need to have that extra boost to go in and support the person to help them get through it. And and it's that way with conventional medicine. Sometimes we know that stuff. You need to have that 
bit of support to help you get through this initial time to find out how you can then make those decisions. But I think it's amazing that you were able to do that for yourself, that you could sit back and go, okay, what do I need? How can I help myself get through this? Because a lot of practitioners would just get on and just say, no, I have to get on. I have to just swallow it, you know, just deal with it because I've got to deal with my clients. So they're not really allowing their body to process it through the the help of, of homeopathic remedies and other things that you've done, which I think is commendable, really. But it's funny how my, you know, I wouldn't have thought, and I know it's silly and there's probably so many therapists, naturopaths, you know, nutritional therapists, um, herbalists that wouldn't think that helping someone with grief, yeah, use your dispensary. And I didn't really Mm. think about that until I just thought I need to do something and I don't want to go and see a bereavement counselor and talk to a stranger about it. Well, well, I'll take some of these. And the other thing that also helped me is that, you know, I was kind of, on a bit of a spiritual journey after finding my dad dead in bed in that, okay, well, you know, if, if matter can neither be created nor destroyed, but just converted from one form to another, which is one of the laws of energy, then where's my dad gone? Yeah. Where is he? So then I started embarking on a path of, you know, doing some mediumship courses and workshops to actually start to go okay he's somewhere in the ether Hmm. how can I actually you know start to hear him or maybe other people can hear him on my behalf and I saw Hmm. um yeah I saw mediums I saw spiritualists and you know you know when you're seeing a good person if you're sat in front of them for half an hour and they're doing all the talking and everything that they say is completely spot on and Hmm. it's not just random you know Hmm. And the things they were saying about my dad, it's like, oh, your dad, he really liked, obviously I look a bit Indian, yeah? Your dad, he really liked pasta, didn't he? Your dad, he's Indian background, but he really liked pasta. My dad ate pasta nearly every day, even though he was a big (laughs) old Indian man, you know? Sweet, sweet. Um, And they would talk about fish. My dad cooked fish a lot, you know? We can see him eating fish. He liked his food, your dad, didn't he? He liked cooking. You know, it wasn't your mum that always... And just listening to, like, these Cockney women... (laughs) who I hadn't given very much money to speaking about my dad and, Oh, he's saying this and he's saying this. And so then Mm -hmm. I kind of, that also helped with my healing, you know, Mm -hmm. and I started to see that I think there's a bit of a perception that these psychics and mediums are charlatans and Mm -hmm. they're kind of getting cues from you. And, and yeah, I saw quite a few through spiritualist churches that are, there are many in London. They, they all came mm-hmm. about after world war one, when so many people had lost husbands and sons that they started to see, and there was a real kind of, you know, um, it went viral going to see a spiritualist back then, you know, in the 1920s, but they gave me really good support and guidance, but also I started doing the training myself, you know, and I found that this here, you know, I'd be sat in, in a group of people and, the spiritualist like right it's your turn Anita you get in the middle right who tell me who you're picking up on and I'd be like I don't know I've only done a course they're like shut up just shut your eyes and tune in you can do it just what comes into your head it's a bit like the tv game show catchphrase mm-hmm. they always say say what you see say what you see mm-hmm. and I'd be stood there going okay so I can see a big tall man and he's got a really posh car and there's a hat on his head like a chauffeur's cap and I'd kind of go Oh, I think it's like connected to you. Yeah, my granddad was a chauffeur. It's like, oh, 
and then the spiritualist going to me right and where where is he a sofa try and find where is it and I'm like I can see the seaside yeah he was a you know a chauffeur in Bournemouth and then the spiritualist who's running the workshop right come on more more tune in what else do you see and I was like I see a Portuguese flag. Was he Portuguese? No, but he had a holiday home in Portugal and he went to the Algarve all the time. And then you kind of, you know, you start to realise that once you're silent and once you just get that ego out and once you just connect to spirit, the ether, whatever you want to call it, divine consciousness, then, you know, that's more information that you're accessing that can also provide solace to people. Mm-hmm. I find all of this really fascinating, Anita, because, you know, it's it's that real amalgamation of the, the real spiritual side, but you also have all of that science and the research to back so many things up. And I, I find that mixture of the two an interesting combination. Oh, bless you. So I'm enjoying hearing this this mixture of how you started in a really conventional scientific world and have slowly been merging those two worlds quite nicely. Do you do you feel that it's just a natural process or do you ever have anything where you hit that in between like two force fields of where you've got those two energies that are just pressing, you know, do you know what I mean? You can see me visually, the audience won't be able to see me visually, but do you ever feel like there's this, these two bits that are opposing sides, that it's that magnetic energy going, Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. Can I blend these two or not? Do you ever get that? No, I, I, look, you know, I think I grew up from a very young age. It was always about contrast in my life, you know? Mm-hmm. So you know, first of all, I'm half Indian, half Italian, you know, Dad's Catholic, you know, and I'm in England, I'm in South London, like, how do I merge that, you know, yeah. then yeah. I'm a girl, and I want to study chemistry, and my first day in, you know, university, there's 60 men, and there's four women, mm. you know, so another contrast, yeah, I'm a, a, a brown girl and there's all these like white guys here you know and this is the industry I want to work in then mm-hmm. I decided to go into banking it's like oh yeah okay again I'm a gr- I'm a girl and I'm in this very male so I've always kind of had to merge two different things you know in 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 my life mm-hmm. um if not more you know when my friends in Sydney used to laugh because um you know literally we'd kind of you know go to the cricket match and they're like oh who are you going to cheer India or England I'm like I can cheer them both you know <laughs> and then six months later it'd be like Australia against South Africa and I'd be cheering on Australia of course and then they'd go you're a typical Italian changing sides all the time <laughs> you can't help who you are what can you say <laughs> so that's why I don't feel that I have to kind of silo science mm-hmm. and then silo spirituality and nice. silo astrology because my whole life has been about blending blending aspects of me you know it's mm. always been about the cocktail shaking that's really not well I like that that's really good the cocktail shaking it's a very nice nice idea so how are things going for your business now you've been over here since 2016 or did you get over uh, here in 2015? Uh, 2015 but I didn't start okay. practicing really here till, till 2016 okay. yeah by the time I kind of yeah. yeah. So you've got your practice right. How are things going for you? So there are a couple of questions that I have, and believe it or not, we've almost been talking for an hour. It goes quickly, doesn't it? Yeah. So how is your business doing? And have you got plans going forward? 
Can we talk a little bit about that? And then I have one question I like to ask everyone. Yeah. You'll know what it is because you've listened to my podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, look, business at the moment is going good. I've got, you know, reasonable amount of naturopathy clients, astrology clients. Mm-hmm. I would like more shamanic healing clients, but, you know, I've, I do feel that maybe that is a little bit more woo-woo for some people, so they might mm-hmm. be a bit resistant to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very blessed. I've been part of um, a networking group for a, for a few years, and I've been giving talks on astrology, again, kind of looking at the UK chart and doing predictions. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, giving talks on, you know, like today, it was all about the microbiome and how that how that works and foods that help. And mm-hmm. I've given talks on immunity. And um, so look, going forward, I would actually like to be more of an educator online and give talks, more in-depth talks and, you know, charge some money for it so that people around the world can be educated by these talks. Um, and yeah. I'm really bad. I haven't done many videos, probably like a lot of, you know, alternative therapists. We're so busy doing one-on-one client stuff that we forget that, you know, the people that can't see us one-to-one, you know, we could be doing like little videos for free that people can still get get benefit from. So I want to do more videos, more more audio and, you know, get them online and on on my website so that people can, you know, get some information for free that would be of benefit to them um but yeah i think doing more educational talks online and when we can in person mm-hmm. is something that I'd, I'd i'd quite like to do you know for um astrology as well as um naturopathy mm. cool okay and you know group shamanic healings when we can physically meet in person i mean yeah once once we are allowed to then hiring you know a space in a nice studio somewhere and sitting in a circle and for a little bit of money we can all kind of you know have some sound healing crystal healing and do shamanic journeys together yeah that sounds lovely that sounds lovely well is there that's wonderful thank you for sharing that and is there anything that we haven't talked about that you would like to talk about I mean, from my standpoint, we didn't even mention the fact that you peer-reviewed one of my favorite books that I picked through constantly when I was studying naturopathic nutrition, and that was Clinical Naturopathy. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, absolutely. I mean, that is a book that so many people have. And when I saw that, I just thought, oh, oh my gosh, that's so exciting. And and what I loved this, that you peer-reviewed Law, Ethics, and Professional Issues in the Complementary Alternative Medicine and then the clinical naturopathy, and then Doreen Virtue and Robert Reeves, that your story was in that. So again, the diversity of that, you've got real, you know, it just made me laugh all of those things. But I had to bring those up because so many people that I studied with loved that book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yes, I say it the wrong way, don't I? But that's such a brilliant book and I still use it. I'm such a geek. I will still pick it up sometimes and look through it and go, I love this book. It's dense. It's got so much information. I'm so excited. You love information. Yeah. Yeah. I basically had to go through every single chapter um and well I'm saying like it was a punishment but at the time I was also seeing (laughs) clients and stuff and yeah obviously I had to review it from a yeah from a perspective you know is it accurate has it got the right information is there anything that you think is missing is the style of writing good so yeah I had to kind of comment on every single chapter and send that send that off to Elsevier you know Elsevier Mm. the scientific 
mm-hmm. writing people. Yeah, and the same with the ethics book, you know, legalities and ethics, whatever. Yeah, but that's what peer review involves. But yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Thanks for reminding me. I loved that. I just, I really, well, I sit on a football. I nearly fell off my ball when I saw that. I thought, no way. I just loved that. I was so excited. But okay, so now that I've oohed nod over that and gushed about it, um, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you would like to talk about today? No, I think we've been through a lot in an hour. Yeah, we have. So my my last question is, how do you take care of yourself now? I mean, we've talked about all of these things that you've been through and what you've done, what do you do to take care of yourself now as we're all progressing into our new, it's a new new stage and phase in our lives with having gone through this pandemic, we're all opening ourselves up to new adventures, really, really. I am very focused on fun. And since since things opened up on, on the 12th of April, I've been out with friends six times. Lovely. Yeah. And I wasn't drinking kombucha, that's for sure, when I was in the <laughs> garden. <laughs> I like the confession. That's the, that's the <laughs> I'm a real person with a herbal dispensary with lots of liver herbs. Yeah. So, um, yeah, look, self-care <laughs> involves me a lot of socialising. I mean, I mentioned earlier about my Venus being in Taurus. Mm-hmm. People with Venus in Taurus, I mean, okay. All right, different planets will interact with that in a different way. But if you're going to generalise, they're very social people, yeah? Um, Sleep, I think, is so important. You know, I went to an Alzheimer's seminar, which was all day in Sydney. Um, I can't remember how long ago. I've been here five years. Maybe it was eight years ago. And it was scary, the amount of neurologists that were mainly talking about sleep and not seven or eight hours sleep. They were talking about nine, ten hours sleep else you don't clear beta amyloid from the brain. So I'm I'm really, that's a bit of a hobby horse for me, sleep, and I'm quite bolshy with clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, if I don't have any clients in the morning, I won't get up till, like, 9 or 10, you know, and I don't feel ashamed about it because I'm doing my brain the world of good and my adrenals, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, and my skin, you know. I, I, twice last year, three times last year, when I was buying a bottle of wine, in once it was Aldi, once it was Lidl, once it was Sainsbury's, and I'm 51. But last year, three times I was asked for ID. Hey, nice. <laughs> I am never asked for ID, but I don't drink anymore. But I'm never asked for ID. I mean, look at the white hair. What can you say? You know. <laughs> you know, I think sleep and obviously my herbal dispensary, my nutrition dispensary, the food mm. I eat, it all kind of helps. Yeah, but I think. Yeah. So sleep, having fun, good food and nutrition and, you know, meditation. I meditate yeah. with crystals on me. Again, not every day. I'm a very cyclic meditator. I do it for a few weeks and I have a few weeks where I don't. And then I do it for a few weeks. But, you know, obviously I feel the benefits when I do it for a few weeks. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I'm <laughs> yin and yang. If you will look mm-hmm. at my astrology chart, you'll see I've got a very polarized chart. So mm-hmm. my aim is to kind of do balance. Mm-hmm. I'm not um, surprised. And I mean that nicely. I'm not surprised. (laughs) That's great. It's great to know. Well, listen, I have, I knew this was going to be a fun chat. I just knew it. And I was looking forward to it this morning. I've been doing a little bit of research on you, as I'd said, and I just was really, really tough because I thought we're going to end up giggling a lot, which has been such a delight. So thank you so much for joining me today. It has been an absolute pleasure. I'll be sure and put a link to your website and if there's anything else i've got your bio that will be in the the show notes also but 
Thanks so much, Anita. I really appreciate your joining me today. It's been such a pleasure. Oh, thanks for inviting me. It's been great fun. Yeah, great. Well, folks, that's all for today. I really appreciate your sitting in and listening in to Anita share her story with me. What an amazing woman. If you'd like to get in touch with Anita, I'll be sure and provide all the links in the show notes so you can get in touch with her directly. Now then, on another note, there are a few things that I'd like to talk with you about, and you've got it. You know one of them is going to be about that Belican. It really has been one of the best things I've done for my health and well-being. I say this all the time, but it's true. The research on the power of rebounding continues to grow every day. So if you'd like to find out more about this amazing product and this company that I am so delighted to be affiliated with, be sure and get in touch with me. There is also going to be a link in the show notes so you can go and snoop around on their website as much as you'd like. I'd also like to thank those of you for subscribing to my podcast. And if you haven't done so already, please leave me a review or share this with people you think might find them of benefit. I have a great rota of people that are going to be joining me over the next few months. So be sure and watch this space. But in the meantime, I'd like to thank you again for joining me. And until next time, here's wishing you and yours the very best of health. Bye for now. Bye.